Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, anyone who want to learn more about B2B content and credibility. Welcome. Today we are going to cover a lot more how you can get great results, how you can mix humor and credibility. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Steve Hextar. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Anatoly? Doing great. To learn more. I love this topic. I think it's important today uh, to mix content with uh, humor, credibility, because uh, people bounce fast. According to data, it doesn't matter what kind of content you have. If it's boring, people bounce <laughs> without any hesitation. <laughs> so we need to give them a strong reason and retain them until then. See, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and Anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you? I am like uh, just about anybody else who's gainfully employed, either by themselves or with a company. I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, you can check me out there. Uh, but I, uh, my very beginning work was, was as a journalist, uh, which was about getting information and presenting it in a way that people would understand the five W's and the H, the who, what, why, when, and of course how. But I think the other thing also is that I was struck by the um, discipline of marketing. And I moved from journalism into advertising and from advertising into public relations and uh, really sort of found my, my way in that world uh, with a focus on content and content marketing. Uh, today, uh, I'm with a company where I, I get to wear uh, a bunch of different hats under the uh, headings of content and communications. And so I'm dealing with um, any and all facets of content marketing, as well as external communications and executive communications. Nice. So uh, I, I would say uh, that the, the view of this, uh, the value of this of this present of this uh, conversation is that uh, over the course of my career, I've looked back and laughed at myself for thinking I knew everything uh, at the time when in fact, retrospectively, of course I didn't. And so I think that one of the things that uh, is a, is a foundational construct is that you really can't take yourself so seriously. Uh, yeah. Yes. What we are doing is important. And yes, what we are doing is meaningful. And it gives us a lot of good feelings, uh, both as people and as professionals. But like, come on, guys, let's let's get get practical about this and realize that there's a value of, of not taking yourself seriously in the sense that it gives you some energy that you might burn up unproductively. Uh, it realizes that when you did mess up, you know, there's a lesson to be learned as opposed to beating yourself up. So I think humor uh, as a as a as a channel of or form of communications, I should say, in B two B marketing is also something that B two B marketers need to keep as part of their day to day thinking, so that they can deal with the pressures and deadlines, and and contradictions that occur in B two B marketing uh, in a in a good perspective. Yeah, nice, awesome, awesome. I I love your experience. 
um, I think people who have background in journalism, they are much, much better than just writers, copywriters, because uh, journalists usually uh, are looking for ways how to create something new, valuable. Uh, but copywriters, in most cases, I, I don't want to say about anyone, they usually rewrite <laughs> existing content. So, yeah, that is why I love this background. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I will, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not the, arguing with you. you know, your point of view is your point of view, but I do think that there was a different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And I think a copywriter may be able to say more in 10 words than a journalist can possibly hope for saying in a thousand Mm -hmm. I think, and, and it's a different discipline of writing. I think they each have their place and I think they uh, all serve different purposes uh, with, within the B2B marketing realm. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe to your point, a copywriter is looking for an interesting way to say something. Somebody who's a little bit more journalistic is looking to say something that will grab somebody's uh, attention. Uh, ultimately, a copywriter will write a headline that captures the attention, but sometimes it's a turn of phrase. Sometimes it's a way of turning the lens in an unexpected way. Uh, and so I, I can't say one's better than the other. Uh, I marvel at people's ability to write exceptional headlines, but maybe they can't write 1,200 words for a blog post. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Steve, I want to ask about uh, humor. It's interesting. In B2B, most companies don't use humor. Yeah, they can share value, something interesting. But um, I think humor is another skill. It's another level because uh, you need to develop this skill. Even people who work in entertainment, they spend time to develop this skill. And I remember I spoke with Jim Edwards. Uh, he worked in Business Insider 10 years. He started on this company from scratch. Then company was sold for $500 million. Great success. And he told me that success of Business Insider depends on creating non-boring content. So we, we can mix. Uh, humor and value. Can you tell how to do it for people who have no these skills? I mean, like, uh, of course, yeah, it's important to entertain a little bit in B2B your uh, customers, users, but how to do it without having these skills? <laughs> well, uh, you know, um, not everyone can get up uh, at open mic night at a comedy club and have, mm -hmm. have the people sitting there laughing uh, to the point where they fall out of their chairs. You know, even even the best comedians will have bad nights. Yeah, even the course. best comedians will find that they that their material needs to have uh, some serious work done. Right. Uh, the the reality is is that I don't I don't know why, but a sense of humor uh, oftentimes is serendipitous. Um, it it may be because of your life experience that you draw on. And you see the the contradictions that oftentimes can be humorous. Uh, you see the the if you will the the apparent what I'll call weaknesses or foibles of human beings, and so you poke gentle fun at them. But I think the, th the thing is is that if you don't have a sense of humor, uh, and you want to use humor, you have to be really careful to understand what is and isn't funny. I mean, if you don't find it funny or if your colleague looks at you like, what did you just tell me? I don't get it. Then then maybe that's not the way for you to go. 
And maybe somebody else on your team, if there's a desire for the brand to have some aspect of humor to deal with it. So the notion is not everybody can, can do humorous things well, right? I do think, however, that you, you alluded to something that I think is really important. And that is that comedians do have to work at their craft. We have heard how Jerry Seinfeld is always walking around with a notebook, a small notebook, but he walks around with a notebook. And if a thought occurs to him, he writes it down. And, and almost as if he were a novelist, he's been known to sit down in front of a yellow legal pad and write out his routines, right? It's work. It doesn't just happen, you know, instantaneously. That's not to say that there aren't uh, or weren't comic geniuses, the fabled Don Rickles, the insult co uh, comic, was known to just completely freelance as he was working in front of a huge audience. That's a unique talent. I think the other thing to realize is comedians not only make us laugh, they very often teach us lessons. And the reason is because they're storytellers. The great, late, great uh, uh, comedian George Carlin constantly taught us about, uh, about how the absurdity of the human experience needed to be looked at, understood, and dealt with. Dave Chappelle, more recently, is constantly reminding us about the fact that, yes, we are different, but we're not that different. And the key is we need to understand each other. And at the same time, we need to understand that your opinion may be different than mine. So while he's teaching us that lesson, we're laughing. Now, where that segues into B2B marketing is if we can get someone to laugh, all the neuroscientists have told us that when we laugh, it causes good chemicals to be released in the brain. We feel good. We get more yeah. relaxed. When we're more relaxed, we're more receptive. So as a marketer, if we can make our prospect or customer a little bit more relaxed about what they're engaging with from us, they may be more receptive. But the thing to recognize is, is that humor needs to be done with a light touch. In B2B marketing, you can't use dark humor. You can't use crass humor. You have to use humor that is very empathetical in a way that if it's done in a, in a PDF, as they're reading it, the person who's reading it may say, this guy gets me, right? Yeah. Humor is a way of relating because very often at the basis of humor, there's a common experience. The reason why a thousand people in a theater can laugh at a, at, a, at a top flight comedian, whether he's Kevin Hart or somebody else, is because most of the people in the audience have experienced the same thing. And they say, yeah, I've been there. I'm going to laugh. This guy gets me. And I think the same, the same orientation can be applied very often in many different ways in B2B marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, knowing your audience. For example, if people uh, come to Kevin Hart, they want to laugh, they want to uh, get engagement, in, spend time, you know. Uh, but if people come to B2B content, they 
need value. They need to learn something, uh, how uh, right. some tools can help them. So how to find the balance between uh, humor and sharing value? Because, it, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you kind of answered your own question. And that is, is that if you're going to come to see Kevin Hart, you're expecting, you know, Kevin Hart time, type of humor. If you're coming to a, a piece of B2B content, you're expecting to get or do certain things. You're expecting to learn something that can help you move you from where you are in a problem or facing a challenge towards a solution, right? You, you want to be able to uh, get the sense that the source of this information is credible. Well, one way to do that is for that content to communicate to the reader or the viewer or the listener in a way that's empathetical, right? I've used the term already. This guy gets me, right? The other thing is to not just be empathetical, but aware and sensitive to the challenges, as they say, the pain points that the person looking at the content is experiencing, Right. These are all very like very business like nature. I understand what what the challenges you're facing. I understand why they're difficult. I understand what some of the problems you've been facing and trying to overcome them. Oh, by the way, here's a solution. Right. Pretty standard fare. The use of humor done in a manner of 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 delicate surgical precision uh, precision can allow that all that stuff to happen, but in a way that allows the person that you're communicating with have a smile on his or her face, right? Yeah. A lot of times we hear that B2B is not creative, that B2C is creative. I, I take great issue with that, right? Because yes, you can take some liberties with consumer communications because you're not dealing about something that could be the life or death of a company. Right. It's a, I mean, it's like, you know, I, uh, it's like my kid may or may not be happy because I got the right or wrong toy. Right. That's a whole lot different than I, I, I implemented the wrong technology. And instead of saving X dollars a month, I'm, I'm spending more. There's a, there's a dimension between B2B and B2C that we all have to be cognizant of. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. Right. Because I think, in, in, in the quiet moment, the person who's looking to find new technology is realizing that chances are there's a solution out there, right? right? I, chances are I'm not going to lose my job. Chances are the company's not going to go down the drain, right? It's a process. If we can make that process a little bit more enjoyable with the use of technology, that's all the better, right? There is an adage that says people like to do business with people they like. So yeah. if, if, if your content can, can contain something that makes you makes your prospect or customers feel better about you, you're doing a good job. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, let's talk about creativity. Uh, I like this part. And for me, uh, if you do marketing without creativity it's nonsense because uh, we have a lot of generic 
marketing messages everywhere and uh, creativity can uh, catch attention uh, hook uh, customers can you tell how to be creative in b2b you mentioned that in b2c probably it's simpler uh, but i think it's it's hard everywhere <laughs> you know if you're not creative you can't provide uh, interesting results so can you tell about b2b Well, I think I think B two B is is very much about um, you have a, you have a problem. Let me demonstrate to you how well I understand that problem. Let me indicate to you what what uh, you might want to consider to solve that problem. But let me tell you why my product or service is your best option. Oh, and let me validate these assertions with evidence of performance. Right, the classic customer case study. Right. I think if you if you fold into that the notion of let's take that process, but let's sort of embellish it in a way that uh, sort of makes it again. This guy gets me. It's fun to read, or it's more fun than a you know a straight black and white type of 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 information sheet. It, it's going to work. And, and let me give you an example. I had spoken with a lot of Stencil's customers. I even spoke with some prospects. And oddly enough, I was hearing the same thing. When people told about when something went wrong in making their email, and I should say that Stencil has a no-code, low-code email and landing page creation platform. And that basically means that You don't need to be uh, knowing anything about HTML code. Uh, if you can drag and drop, you can make a quality HTML email without ever touching the code very quickly. And oh, by the way, it'll be always on brand because of some guardrails that are built into the platform, right? That's, you know, I just gave you kind of the boring elevator pitch. But what I was hearing almost with alarming consistency was when these people were describing the problems they were running into, they would say, Oh, it was a horror story. Yeah. Almost constantly. So what, what that, that, that gave rise to an idea. These were tales of horror. So what we did was we, we sort of, sort of created comic book stories about a protagonist, an antagonist in trying to get a piece of email created and running into a problem and making it into a very melodramatic over the top kind of situation. We literally used, you know, Stan Lee type of, of art direction and design. We literally created comic books <laughs> that told seven yes. tales of horror in email creation, right? We promoted it with email We sent those emails on Sunday, just like the traditional Sunday funnies, right? So that people could go to the website and read it or download it as they would. We built into, the, into this part of the website opportunities to ask for demos, to see other related material that spoke to the particular horror story, right? It was a very classic, multifaceted, multi-channel B2B marketing campaign but what made it distinct and what it made it kind of you know uh, 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 wise guy funny was that we we 
we we exaggerated the problems that these people were facing, born largely out of the fact that the people themselves were telling us it was a horror story. So we, in effect, told their horror story back to them. They all related to it. Our engagement was very high. Our click-throughs from the emails to the websites was very strong. The conversions of people visiting to wanting to learn more was quite high. We had such interest in these, in these comic books that we printed hard copy versions, collected the seven stories and had a bonus eight story. And we gave them out as trade show giveaways and we had to reprint them because people wanted them. Why? Because this wry, dry sense of humor struck a nerve with these folks, even to the point where a few of them came back to us and told us tales of their own where they showed these to people they worked with, to their bosses, and they said, oh my God, is that the way we are? We are such potato heads, right? They realized that we had captured their lives. And they said, you know what? Maybe they have something. Let's talk to them, right? Was it a laugh out loud, belly laugh type of humor? No, but it was humorous, done in a way that allowed empathy, credibility, and importantly, action. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, a question about, uh, you know, uh, once we found if we overuse some technique that uh, provokes emotion, fear, I don't know, humor, anything, it can uh, distract customers from uh, the main product, I mean, like from buying product. Can you tell, uh, for example, uh, sometimes uh, I remember when I got uh, plus 300,000 views on LinkedIn post, but I didn't sell anything with this plus. Yeah, that was funny, interesting, but nobody cares about the main product. Can you tell, I mean, like, how don't lose the attention? Well, a couple of things. We, you know, we need some context here, as, mm -hmm. as is the case always with B2B marketing. Where are we in the customer journey, mm -hmm. right? If we're at the top of the funnel, you know, maybe we can use humor or some other emotion uh, by design to grab that attention. But when we bring them down the funnel and we want them to give some further consideration to what we're offering, you have to be a little bit more careful, orchestrated a little bit more skillfully, right? Uh, the other is, is that it depends on the piece of collateral. What is this content? I would not use humor in a case study. Mm -hmm. I would be as straightforward as possible because as we know, case studies are immensely important pieces of content in influencing the buying decision in a massive way, right? So it's, you know, where are you in the journey? Who is, by the way, who is your customer? What are they all about? Where are they in the organization? Uh, as they say, where, where are they on the food chain, right? How much are we talking about in terms of the purchase uh, price for the situation? What's the implications of the, of the company uh, in terms of, of their use of your product? Is it going to be a game changer for them? Is it going to achieve allow them to achieve a greater level of efficiency as, as, as the stencil platform does? Is it going to be a way that, that allows them to reduce headcount? You know? I mean, I don't think I would use you know, humor 
if if the if the end game to the person you're selling to is going to be able to reduce you know the number of employees because that could come back and, and and bite everybody in the rear end right so like as with using humor using an emotional cell has to be done carefully and selectively right um, i I will point out that uh, there are a lot of e-newsletters e that fill our inboxes every day, and they, uh, many, many of them are written with tongue planted firmly in cheek. It's very snarky, right? And a lot of us like that humor. It's kind of deli a delightful style of writing, right? Well, you know, if I'm talking to you and you don't know anything about me, and I use snark, in my, as my communication style, mm -hmm. you may think I'm a jerk. Okay. So it's, it's, again, it comes back to using fundamental marketing discipline. Where are you? Who are you trying to sell to? What are their situ? What's their situation? What's the impact of your, of your, of what you're selling going to be on their business? Where are they in, in their journey? What's your marketplace like? What's your competition, right? There's an interesting tendency that when a, a marketer uses humor, competitors will try to do the same and very often not as well, right? That has, interestingly enough, a detrimental effect on you because you kind of get washed in with all their, it's kind of like when the good com good comedian is in the middle of the set and the guys that follow him are horrible. You don't remember that that guy in the middle was good. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you have to look and see what's going on around you as well. Right. Yeah. I, I, by the way, a while ago we talked about B2B, B2C. I, I you know, one of the things that, that you certainly can do with email is A, a B testing. You can do the same thing with, with humor. You can try it out to see how it resonates. And, you know, maybe you can use it in a conversation with a customer who is, you know, uh, open and forthright in all of their dealings with you. And if it's a relationship that's born out of respect and mutual uh, interest, they'll tell you whether or not it's funny, whether or not it'll resonate with other people who are in the same jobs. So, yeah. you know, you can test, you can evaluate, you can refine. Uh, none of this should should be um, uh, surprising to any B2B marketer. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, valuable, valuable. Uh, you mentioned a lot about humor. Uh, I want to get back to the main topic, mixing humor and credibility. Can you tell how to mix credibility to get great content or create great content? Well, uh, well those, are, those are a bunch of different questions in there, but I'll try to unpack it. Yeah. When I, uh, you know, as a content marketer, uh, if I'm talking to a customer and I'm trying to get, you know, the, the inner most, <coughs> pardon me, thinking or emotions uh, associated with the problem solution results, that is the typical format of a case study, I, I may use humor uh, in my, in my style of questioning to break the tension, right? You know, not everybody we speak to is is used to being interviewed. Uh, you know, they may feel it's more like an interrogation than a conversation. 
but so if you use humor in that way, you reduce, you may break the tension. They may become more forthright. You may learn something that you didn't, didn't uh, expect to hear. Right. At the same time, there's the great use of silence. If you ask a question, don't necessarily expect to get an answer right away. Uh, human beings have this compulsion to fill the space of silence with noise. Sometimes we call that talking. Sometimes we call it noise. Um, but the other thing also is um, I have found that's useful is that when you're developing content that may be making use of humor, whether it's dry or, 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 or you know, the verbal equivalent of a sight gag, um, I share it in draft form with some salespeople or with some customer success people. They're interfacing with the people we're trying to sell to that they are selling to every day. So they can serve as a fairly good uh, uh, sense of whether or not what they're doing, um, what I'm trying to do, I'm sorry, is, is actually going to end uh, as I wanted to, where people may laugh, maybe people may feel good, uh, that the humor works. So that's a different form of testing, but that's a way of testing the content itself, right? The other thing is, um, if you're sending something out and, and using it by email, the messaging that you have in the content should be sort of being hinted at in the email. If your email engagement rate isn't what it should be or what you hope it to be, you need to look at that and you need to figure out, you know, what's not going right here? What can I do to make it better? Right. If they're opening it but not clicking through, take that same thing. If they come to the website and then bounce real quick, another thing. So we're, we're talking a lot about creating the content. Let's not forget about measuring and, and assessing the content. That's very critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because nobody knows uh, before testing, <laughs> we need to test. And if you don't test in marketing, you can create only generic content. But if you test experiment, you can create something new and special. Uh, Steve, I want to ask about mistakes. It's my common question. My audience loves this question because in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. Some mistakes are terrible, some slight mistakes. But I don't know another way how to learn something new. I usually start from best practices, uh, make a lot of mistakes, then I can improve the, the process. So can you tell or list mistakes that content creators still do, mixing humor and credibility, and uh, how to find another way? <laughs> okay. I think one of the things that, that content marketers uh, fall, fall prey to is particularly when they're trying to, to, to utilize humor, is they don't change their writing style. Uh, think about the delivery of a comedian. There is a predictable structure to a joke, a good joke that's well told, right? The same thing needs to be taken into consideration when you're developing content that has humor, right? You can't have lengthy compound sentences because think about it. What comedian has, you know, uh, a monologue? I, I mean, if you will, a monologue is a series of short jokes strung together and have a common theme. But 
I'm, I'm saying uh, clumsily, I, I might add, which just goes to show you that even content marketers don't know what they're going to say. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is keep it simple. Have it be conversational, right? Write the way you would tell the, the joke. Write the way the story should be told, yeah. right? You know what? I, I, I'm a big believer in, in proper grammar, but there's no sin in the incomplete sentence. There is a sin in the run-on sentence. So, you know, if you will, the mistake that people make is not changing their writing style from one circumstance, from one style to the next, right? It's hard to do that, make no mistake. But if you're going to do something, to your point, experimental and different and out of your or your company's comfort zone, don't you know don't just sort of put makeup on it and and say that the same ugly you know face is now beautiful it's the same ugly face you need to change the face and so change your style change your word choice change the pace and pattern of your writing so it works to where you're trying to grow right <laughs> the style you have for a technical white paper should not be the style you have for a whimsical comic book type story yeah nice nice yeah love it agree uh i want to ask about the tool that i use every single day almost all content creators use ai today i cooperate with writers who post on forbes investopedia And all of them, without exception, use ChatGPT. uh, Some can use other tools, uh, AI. Uh, And if I ask on ChatGPT, please write me 10 jokes. I can get 10 jokes. I'm not sure about the quality, about uh, if it's creative. Uh, Can you tell how to use AI to to create this? Well, I I don't use it to create content per se. Mm -hmm. I use it to having a um, uh, idea as an idea starter. Mm-hmm. I use it to do some amount of research. A lot of what it brings back, ha- it does not have a reference. So how do I know it's accurate? Um, how do I even know it's real? Yeah. I, I also um, find that... Um, uh, to your point about the jokes, a case in point, in, in, in my world with email, uh, we have uh, a, an AI-powered toolkit that's free to use uh, uh, from our stencil.com website. Uh, it's, you know, it, you, can, you can have it uh, create uh, pre-header text, subject lines. It can sort of develop uh, content for the email uh, based on a different bunch of styles. You know, it, the reality is, is that uh, sometimes I find it does not make that much of a difference. Um, so I think what, you, what, what I have done sometimes is if I have a blog post that's on not that earth-shaking a subject, <clears throat> I'll, I'll put the query into ChatGPT and essentially what comes back to me, which is, which is text with par- sentences and paragraphs, I'll, I'll use it as an outline and I'll add to it and I'll change it around and things of that sort. Um, I would say that most of those generative AI t- tools that are out there 
are probably C, C plus writers, right? And to your earlier point, a lot of them don't have much of a sense of humor. Um, uh, I've, I've tried to do that sometimes and I find they really miss the mark. Yeah. Um, I, I will tell you though, that if you, if you prompt your AI tool to write in the active voice, by golly, they will write in the active voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, love it, love it. Steve, I want to ask about your experience. Um, what I found uh, that we usually get high results with clients who understand what we do. For example, SEO, content marketing. Uh, if my clients don't understand, usually tell them, uh, take my course, learn from Lily Ray, Jeff Coyle, Mike Phillips, go to YouTube, go to Google. It doesn't matter. Find content that you like, just learn, get the basic. If you know how it works, then we can go ahead to create high quality content. Uh, we know why we need to chase uh, traffic value than getting more traffic, uh, many different insights. So let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. It's your first day in content marketing, B2B. Forget about your background in journalism. So what will you do today if you started from scratch? Uh, it's, it's interesting you should say that because people who are starting today come to the job with certain skills uh, because they grew up in a computerized, internetized world. So there's a feeling that, that they have some skills. And yes, in some ways, those skills are legitimate, genuine, and useful. But it doesn't make them a writer. It doesn't make them a storyteller. It doesn't make them somebody who can put themselves in the other person's situation. So I think what what if if I was starting out today and I had that computer and internet and uh, 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 experience and I had that uh, uh, stronger grasp of AI that some other folks might have, um, I would realize that I need to strengthen my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, um, writing, storytelling, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a little bit like uh, sports where there is a need for you to develop muscle memory. You know, the only way you can play, become a good piano player is to play the piano. The only way you can become a good writer is to write. But I think it's not just about writing. It's writing in a way that you then can look at it and look at it critically and see where you're good, better, and or, or yeah. indifferent. The other thing is, if you're going to be a content marketer for a company that makes uh, 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 glass jars, you should learn as much as you possibly can about glass jars, right? You need to in effect, become as close to a subject matter expert as you possibly can. Because there's a, you know, to come back to journalism, it used to be the hardest section of the newspaper or the magazine or the TV show that you would have to work for was the sports section. Because anybody who read the sports pages knew as much or more as you did. Because fans, which is short for fanatics, really know their game. If it's football, and I say that with the one that's played with your foot, um, or if it's hockey, or if it's baseball, 
fans really know the game. And if you're writing something and you're not substantive and, and clear and critical, they're going to turn you off. And that orientation needs to be applied in a content marketing. If you're writing content for that glass jar company and you're talking to somebody who's been dealing with glass jars, maybe as old as you, as long as you've been alive and it's empty, you've got a problem. Parenthetically, if, if your team allowed that to get out into the world, shame on them. Because uh, the other thing that a person who needs to be uh, a content marketer is not only understand data, not only understand the customer, not only understand the topic or the concept and become a writer, they need to be able to allow their stuff to be edited, right? Pride of authorship does a content marketer no good. Uh, I, it is a challenge to find a good editor, I might add. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, practice makes miracles. So it's like <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. He doesn't read a lot of books how to play soccer. <laughs> he hits the ball <laughs> a thousand times a day. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to become great at anything, even book offers, book offers, yeah, I, right? thousand uh, words a day. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was Malcolm Gladwell or not. Maybe it was him. But there was this notion that you had to work at something for at least 10,000 hours before you achieved any degree of, of expertise. Now, nice. I, I, you know, I don't know if that's that's been something that has been validated, but I think the message is clear. Uh, if you start out today, whether it's content marketing or playing, you know, playing football for an Arabian soccer team, uh, you, you, you've got to realize you've got to put the time in. Right. I think the other thing that I want to under, underscore here is if you're starting out today, Be willing to say, I don't know. I think mm -hmm. the big challenge for a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, is this compulsion to constantly be proving your worth, right? Your worth will improve if you learn to do more things, if you're able to do more things faster and with a higher level of quality. And one of the ways to be able to do that is to understand that which you don't understand, So don't be afraid to say, I don't know. At the same time, if someone is giving you constructive criticism, take it. And even, by the way, if that criticism is not presented in the, in the nicest way, don't react to it emotionally. Absorb it intellectually. Parse through it after the fact. There's a lesson. It may not have been given to you in the best way, but more likely than not, there's a lesson. So the concept also is look for the positives, right? Content marketing, <coughs> pardon me, is not an easy thing to do well and do it on an ongoing basis. So you, you need to realize that, you know, another adage, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So don't expect your boss the second week you're there to say, oh, by the way, we want you to write this 25-page ebook. It's going to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Love it, love it. And Steve, I have a final question about the future. Can you forecast what kind of future will be? We have AI today. Uh, Apple is going to launch headset. Probably augmented reality will come. 
Facebook try to create virtual reality. I think technologies are going <laughs> fast to our market trade. So can you forecast what kind of future will be and how marketers can adapt today to this possible future? I think a lot of what you said, in my mind at least, represents additional channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, a headset, whether it's you know the, the piece that Apple recently put out, or what what uh, Meta has been trying to market, uh, whether it's uh, you know heaven knows what what else. Uh, these uh, these represent additional ways to reach your prospect. It represents additional ways for you to present content in different forms, right? The, the reality is, is that a lot of people still think content marketing equals PDF, right? If that's their thinking, they're, they're well behind the curve, right? Um, I'm, a, I'm a person who spends most of his day with words, and yet I'll be the first one to tell you people don't read. So we need to, we need to look at ways to present information that can move people toward a decision in different ways. Is the ebook, however interactive as it might get to be, going to remain? Yes. Are we going to be seeing more video kind of communications? I believe so. Um, you know, not the least of which is because our collective attention span continues to decrease. But I also, I also think that you know, I, I am, I am very intrigued, excited, and feeling positive about AI. But you know, let's not forget that this recent rush with generative AI has, is something that came after a group of computer scientists got together at Dartmouth College in 1954, which was deemed by most as when the concept of artificial intelligence was first identified, defined, and a path forward was determined. Yes, that's a little different than chat GPT. It's a little different than what Sam Altman has been talking about. But I think it, it, we've got a bit more to go. And I think one of the challenges there is, is with, the, with the, the, the language models. Uh, and I think when they get better, uh, generally speaking, when we have variations of large, middle, and small language models, um, then I think that will be um, uh, very much uh, uh, a very exceptional tool for the content manager, uh, uh, marketer. The, the thing to realize is AI, like early industrial automation, is being thought of as something that's going to get rid of jobs. Well, yeah, there are going to be some jobs. Like, I mean, think about when spreadsheets came around. You know, the data entry clerk didn't have a job because of the spreadsheet. But all of a sudden, a data entry clerk, if he or she, you know, learned a few things, could become a data analyst. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The, I think for the content marketer, they're not, they're not going to lose their job because of AI. They're going to lose their job because they don't leverage AI. There are certain of kinds course. of communications that that a good content marketer doesn't really need to spend a heck of a lot of time on. The Associated mm-hmm. Press has been using artificial intelligence for several years now to put out items on their newswire 
relating to quarterly earnings reports. Why? Because they follow a standard structure. It hasn't been hard for them to have an AI mechanism create those news announcements based on the press releases that the companies put out, right? Does it get looked at by an editor, a human editor? Absolutely. But I think the thing to realize is if you think AI is your competition, you're going to lose. If you think it's going to be a way for you to do what you're doing better and faster and make a bigger impact on your marketing team and on the company you're part of, you're, you're going to do fine. The other elements, as I said, represent channels, but you don't know what they are, then figure them out. Nice. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think if someone has time to worry about AI, to complain about AI, yes, AI will replace them because experts are looking for a way how to adapt and they're excited about AI. They know this tool can help them to increase productivity, speed, uh, quality, a lot of insights. So yeah, uh, technologies are coming fast and we need to adapt to them to increase productivity. Love it, love it, Steve. It's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. I love it, so valuable. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Um, uh, just check out my uh, LinkedIn profile or uh, uh, contact me via the stencil.com. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Guys, you can find the link in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. I recommend to anyone to follow Steve on LinkedIn because I follow And you need to follow too because you can see a lot of value. Keep learning. Okay, guys. Love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.